0: Praise God. So I thought we would continue talking about the blood of Jesus and uh, explaining why we plead the blood. We were talking about that earlier today. And uh, this is a subject that, you know, it it makes a lot of sense when God reveals to you the truth of, of what's going on here. When man sinned in the garden, God said that in the day that you eat of this tree, you will surely die. That means that the life force would begin to flow out of man. And that life force has been flowing out. And in order to restore life to man, God had to find a way to shed blood so that a price would be paid. A ransom would be paid for the souls of men. The Bible also says that through one man, which is the first Adam, all men suffered death or tasted death. But through the the righteousness of one man, and that is the last Adam, that we can all have eternal life. God planned for the blood to be speaking to us because it was shed from the foundation of the earth. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth. So there was always a force in the earth that was speaking to help humanity. Always. Always. When God created the man, He understood by His, by God's uh, pre-foreknowledge, uh, He understood that man would fall. So the provision for your sin and my sin has been made from the foundation of the earth. So God didn't just think of some way to get us back to Him when He saw that we messed up. The way had been made from the foundation of the earth. So God in his foreknowledge makes full provision for everything. So every promise that he has made to us is assured because before we even fell, he had already made a way for us to be reestablished in the covenant and be made perfect again. And part of the the mechanism that he has chosen to do that has to do with the shed blood of Jesus. We talked about How there is a court in heaven and there is a legal process. You know the Bible is a legal document. It is a legal document. It is in force in the earth at all times. That's why you can't do anything to convince God to bless you because it's already written. All you have to do is find a way to get him to give it to you. Isn't that right? That's our quest. It's already written. We see the promises there. We know that God is a good God and he's assured us of all of our needs being met and everything that we uh, have need of is already provided for. But we have to find a way to get it from the realm of glory into the realm where we live. And that has to do with righteousness and it has to do with obedience to our end of the covenant. And we can only obey our end of the covenant if we can find a way to stay in righteousness. So the blood of Jesus makes the way of righteousness for us. Huh? We talked today about the blood of Jesus speaking. Blood has a voice. And so the blood of Jesus speaks better things to us than the old covenant system of a little shed blood of bulls and goats and all that kind of thing is because his blood speaks from eternity. His blood spoke first. Before the blood of the blood of, of, of Cain, righteous Cain was was, I mean righteous Abel was shed. The blood of Jesus already spoke forgiveness for everybody who committed murder. Isn't that something? So his blood speaks from eternity. And because his blood spoke first, it will drown out the voices of any other blood that's been shed. That's why people whose mothers whose only child has been murdered can go into the prison and see the person who murdered her child. And forgive him and embrace him and teach him the word and say, I can adopt you as my son. Even though you took the life of my son, I can forgive you and I can love you. Why? Because the blood of Jesus speaks better things. It speaks above the voice of hatred and vengeance and wanting to get revenge, even though that is a normal voice in the realm of the Spirit. Hmm? It's that God has a law of restitution at his word. So he doesn't want us to lose anything. In fact, he promises that he will restore everything that's been stolen from us. And he can only do that if provision has been made in advance for the things that we're going to lose. It's like, for instance, if I would tell tell Sister Peggy, I said, uh, you know, whatever you, you want to buy today, Sister Peggy, just send me the bill for it. Well, she better find out how I'm going to do that. Hello. Huh? She got to know something about my bank account. She got to something got to be stored. We can't be guessing about this thing. I've got to have some credibility with her, which means I've got, you go and buy a house. You go buy a car. You know, there are a lot of people wanting to buy. Well, God told me he was going to get me a house and a car, and it's just time for this, and I'm just going to go to the bank. And I'm going to go shopping for it, and I know I'm going to get it. Well, you will find out if God has told you that or not. <laughs> because when you get there and you don't have the money, huh? unless God has supernaturally told these people to let you have it anyway, you've got to have some kind of something in the bank, some kind of credentials. I don't care what. And God can provide those, that's for sure. But you have to have some kind of provision already stored up or already ordained for that purpose or you won't be driving out and you'll be driving out the same way you drove in there huh absolutely so unless we understand and we know that god has pre-arranged and set aside for us provision for everything that can go wrong in our lives we'll be stuck wondering what's going to happen have i gone too far this time did i mess up so bad this time that god won't Hmm? So the blood speaks throughout eternity from the mercy seat of heaven, our forgiveness. From eternity it's speaking. That's why Jesus can sit in heaven and laugh at the devil. While we're all upset and thinking he's going to do this and do that and we've messed up for the last time. The Bible says he who sits in the heavens laughs. Because he said, no, nah, listen, before I even made that nut right there, huh? He said, I didn't make him crazy, but he sat up there and looked in the mirror so long he made himself crazy. Self-reflection. I will exalt myself. Oh, look at me. Ooh. <clears throat> when I step in there, I'm Huh? That's exactly what Satan did. He, what did he do? A bunch of self-reflection. Looking at his own self in the mirror. Mm, I'm going to exalt mm, my throne. A... And what did Jesus say? He said, I saw him fall. He said, I didn't touch him. Daddy didn't touch him. And the Holy Ghost didn't touch him. He fell on his own. Looking at, at himself in the mirror and fell backwards out of heaven, broke his neck and fell down to earth. It's well, pretty much how it happened you know. him. <laughs> Writer's embellishment, huh? But that's why God, He who sits in the heavens, can laugh, because before He even formed Satan, He had already shed His blood for what Satan was going to do to us, and He accounted us righteous if we would totally trust in the power of His blood to do everything that we need to have done. So the life force is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission from sin for human sin. So blood must be met with blood in order for the court of heaven to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. God made up these rules himself, and he plays by his own rules that he set. The devil's problem is he thought he knew all the rules and didn't even have a starter kit on understanding God. And so it's because of the blood of Jesus that we can understand and we can know the things that God wants us to know. So we were talking in Genesis 15 earlier with Abraham. And Abraham had come to a place in his life where God had promised him some things and he didn't see them happening. Has anybody been there? See, what we don't understand is that while we're trying to puzzle our brains, trying to figure out how God's going to do it, when he's going to do it, have I prayed enough? Have I given enough in the offering? Have I confessed the word enough? All our wonderings about enough. Abraham had come to a similar point in his life. And God had promised him children. He said, every time you look up in the sky, you see how many kids you're going to have. He said, every time you look at the sand on the seashore, you're going to see how many children you have. And Abraham had gone many years and still did not have any. And he didn't understand why not. Just like we do when we're expecting God to do something big and a month goes by and we don't have it. And a year goes by and we don't have it. And many years go by and we don't have it. Then we start to wonder, did God tell me he was going to do that from the beginning? Have I done something? Have I missed it somewhere? What can I do to retrieve and restore that promise? And so Abraham began to ask God, how would he know, how will I know, God, that you're going to do this for me? And God does something very unique with him. He cuts what we call a covenant with Abraham. And we see that in Genesis chapter 15. In verse 8, he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? How will I know? God, you promised me something and I want to know that I'm going to get it. Huh? Anybody ever been like that? We all want to have that assurance on the inside of us. We always want to have that confidence. We don't like wondering all the time and wavering. And he says to him in verse 9, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a sheep goat, she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the middle. He split them down the middle and laid each one piece against another, but the birds he did not divide. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away, or Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now that was the presence of God, the way he would appear to man in the old covenant. The Bible says that God shrouds himself in gross darkness. Why? Because there was not a revelation of the Son of God at that time to take away the sin of the world. We didn't have Calvary at that time. So God had to hide himself. When he would appear to Moses, Moses would go up on the mountain and the rest of the people would stay down on a living level. So you either had to ascend to be in the presence of God or God would have to shroud himself. Why? Because in the day that you would see him, you would surely die. Because man was not redeemed yet from his sin. God is teaching him. Everything in the old covenant is pointing to Jesus. So that you can see him in the fullness of his glory. And so a great darkness came to him. And he said to Abraham, know of a surety. I want you to know this that your seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterwards they shall come forth out with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come out here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And those are figures of Jesus Christ and the Father. The burning lamp is Christ. Those are prefigures of the Father and Son. And in the same day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt and to the great river, the river Euphrates, and so forth and so on. So God shows this to Abram in a figure. He can't take it close up and personal because he is so far and so distant from God that God has to reveal it to him while he's in a deep sleep and he comes to him in a dream and he begins to show him and tell him all the details of what he's going to receive from God. The important factor here is the shedding of blood. When these animals were cut, were split in half, and the Father and the Son walked through the pieces, God said that from this day forward, I will use shed blood to testify what I'm doing with man here on earth. In the book of First John, it says, there are three that bear witness on earth. And that's the water, the spirit, and the blood. Blood always testifies because it is a life substance and it speaks. And we talked about that earlier. When, when Cain killed his brother Abel, God said, your brother's blood is talking to me. He didn't say, I see his body. We don't know where his body was. But he knew that he had killed him because the blood of this dead brother began to speak to God because the life of man was created, man was created to live eternally. That's why when when we die, our blood still speaks. That's why when you die, if you don't receive Christ, you go to hell and your soul is still active and alive because we are created to live forever. And we do, somewhere. Somewhere. But see, if we're under the blood of Jesus, then that blood speaks. You get to go to heaven and you don't have to suffer in hell. So the blood testifies on our behalf. The blood speaks for us. And this blood that was shed, even with these little animals, now think about this. The Bible talks about the difference between the blood of the old covenant and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of the old covenant was just, and at one point, God just stopped all the sacrifices. He says, I don't have any pleasure in that. He said that was never meant to take care of your sin. The old covenant was done away with because it was weak, because it had to be carried out in man's flesh. So all the animals that were ever sacrificed were merely there to teach us that because we were, we were sinners and because we sinned, some sacrifice had to be made to pay for that sin but it was never paid for it was merely covered it was never really taken care of so the bulls and the goats and all the animals that were sacrificed then just brought us into a shadow of a covenant but it still spoke that there was a greater blood to come that would take care of that forever But even with the blood of these animals that were shed, Abram got a new confidence in God. And from that day forward, he began to walk before God and be perfect because that blood began to speak. And what it spoke was that God has not only given you a promise, but he has now sealed it with an oath. Huh? So we were talking earlier about promises that people make to one another. And we can keep our promises or we don't have to keep them. Because who backs them up? We do. Another weak human fleshly person backs up our own promises. Even when we say that famous phrase, God told me. Huh? Preachers hear it all the time. People bobbing, God told me to come here. God told me to do this. And God told me to do that. And, you know, know, he told me about five years ago to come here to this meeting. Well, if God told you and you've been that disobedient, my goodness, this is a mad, one of you can get hit by a Mack truck on the way home. Huh? Come on now. When God talks to you, you get that far out of the will of God. You understand what I'm saying? So even with our God told me's, that's not as convincing. Are you convinced if I told you God told me to? you got to see, make sure it comes to pass. You understand what I'm saying? So my words, just my mere words, mean nothing because they're a promise and there's nothing backing that promise up. But God did something different with Abram. He did something different and it's found in Hebrews chapter 5. I'll turn there real quick. I shouldn't say real quick. We'll know if it's quick or not because we'll see what God wants to do. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 6, I'm sorry. And starting in verse 13, it's talking about what God did when he made the promise to Abraham. He says, for God, for when God made promise to Abraham. Hmm? Now you notice in the old covenant, at the time he made the promise, we spell it A-B-R-A-M, Abram. That's his pre-covenant name. And it says here he made promise to Abraham. So after God has made the promise, he seals it with an oath and he changes Abraham's name from Abram to Abraham, meaning that God has touched his life now. For he says, When he made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So God then makes not only a promise, but he backs it up with an oath. Now what's the difference between just a promise and an oath? When you buy your home and you take out a mortgage on it, very few people can pay cash for a house, at least not their first one. You buy a home and you have a mortgage on it. And you you make a promise and you sign a contract to pay those people. So they have your promise that you're going to pay. But these people ain't stupid. They need something to back up that promise that they call collateral. The collateral is the oath portion of it. That makes it more than you just somebody who walked in there with botched up credit huh? and signed some papers. So, they must have something that if you default on this, they won't suffer a great loss. Every promise that God makes to us is backed up with an oath that assures us that He cannot default on it. See, when you and I promise each other stuff, the stuff that really, what really hurts us and disappoints us is that if we default on our promises. You sit here, you wait for people, and you think they're going to come by, and you think they're going to come to visit and all this kind of stuff, and they never show up, they don't call, it's a disappointment. It may even cost you something. If you cook dinner for somebody, you got all these leftovers, and you got all this stuff sent up there, and they never bothered to let you know, well, you've got collateral damage there. You've suffered loss. The relationship suffers because they don't respect you. They can't trust you. Then the devil gets in your mind and says, well, they never did like you. No way. They just lying all the time. They just, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Huh? Now, sometimes they got people have legitimate reasons for not showing up. Your best bet before you find out, you know, before you get real ugly, get on cell phone. Well, I knew you was going to do this. I don't know what's wrong with you. I never should have you anyway. You don't respect nobody. And bam. <laughs> and then, three days later, you get a call. They were in a horrible accident. You know. my <laughs> bad. Huh? See, all of that comes from disappointment and broken promises. There is more damage to the human soul because of discouragement, disappointment, and broken promises. So God assures us that he won't do that to us. He says, he who hopes in the Lord will never be ashamed and will never be confounded and disappointed. And why can he say that? Because he not only promised us something, but he backed it up with an oath. And because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. So he swore by the highest power in the world. Mafia people, I swear on my grandmother's eyes. I don't they say that. I swear on my grandmother's eyes. I know. It's the truth. Well, he's looking for collateral. He's looking for something to up the ante so he can be believed. Huh? Oh, Louie, I didn't mean to, to steal the dope money, and you know, I just, you know, but I swear on my grandmother's eyes, you give me some more dope to sell for you, or you know, I'll take care of you. <laughs> so, Louie on Saturday, Louie looking for grandma. You know, he messed, he messed her all up. Huh? This is it true? We as human beings, because we know that people lie. We know that people fail. We know that we're weak as human beings. We are always looking for assurance. That's why Abraham was asking God, how am I going to know this? It makes me nervous to have to trust you, not really knowing that you're going to do this for me. Sometimes the bigger the promise, the more nervous we are. Because if we put our hope in that and it fails, we'll be so disappointed and crushed. We just don't want to put forth the effort to hope. If You know, you'd rather not even invest your faith in something if it's not going to happen for you. Man, human beings are made like that. Oftentimes people say, well, let's just watch and see what happens. Huh? I don't want to invest in anything. I'm just going to watch this and see what happens before I get involved in it. But God said he wanted to make certain that Abraham was secure in what he was telling him. And he says, he swore by himself saying, surely blessing I will bless thee and multiplying I will multiply thee. I'm going to do this of a certainty. And so after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Patiently enduring. Enduring. How did he do that? Come on now. If somebody promises you something and you're not sure, how can you patiently endure something you're not even sure? You're going to get it. So something must have happened between the time he first gave Abram this promise and this situation right here where he all straight, he said, I'm cool with God. Hey, you know, however long it takes, I'm riding it out. That's very different from when he started and saying, "God, what am I going to do? You know I ain't got no kids. you promised me kids, and it is getting a biological clock if we got one back in them days. I don't know what they had back then. But I do know this: He was a hundred years old when the baby was born, and they had had no children all their lives. So talk about nervous. This brother's beyond nervous. And he's about to count God as ridiculous if God don't do something. Okay. What does this covenant, this cutting these animals, walking through this, these pieces, does something for this man that had never been done for him before? There's something different that happens in the realm of the Spirit to help us when we understand the power of the shed blood of Jesus. Because these animals are just a prefigure of Christ and what he can do. And it straightened Abraham up. Because it said, because God could swear by no higher, he swore by himself. And he said, surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. And he says, for men truly swear by the greater. My grandmother's eyes. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? How many people promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help me, God. So they are swearing that God is holding them to tell the truth. They are swearing by a greater power. Other than that, folks, we might as well not have a court. If we didn't have some way to assure truth come forth in a courtroom, we might as well not even have one. So we are swearing by a higher power than ourselves that that higher power will keep us in truth or we suffer the penalty of the higher power whatever that is. Huh? So we're asking God to help us to tell the truth the whole truth nothing but the truth God help me but God if I don't do this I suffer whatever penalty you give to people who break this rule. So a covenant, blood covenant, does that. It tells that person that is receiving the promise that God is going to do this for you, so help him, God. There's three of them. And they are all perfectly capable of enforcing their own law. So God swears by himself. He goes to the highest power in the universe to tell you that he will not lose you. You will never lose your salvation, so help you God. He will take care of you and your children forever, so help him God. He will pay every bill that you ever, even the ones where you'd have monked up and jacked up your credit and messed up the bill money. So help him, God. So he says, because he could swear by no higher, he swore by himself. Verse 16, for men truly swear by the greater. They swear by the greater. When you get people in a court of law, they have to swear by a greater power. When when people would would form man-to-man covenants under the old covenant, it was very common when people living in different, people were, were sworn enemies back in the day. There was a tribe of people living here, a tribe of people living here, didn't know each other, hardly knew the language, didn't know if you were friend or foe. After you got to know somebody for a while, you developed a peace relationship with them. So you would cut covenant with them. And especially if you felt that they were the type of person that you could rely on, you would you can trust. And usually in a man-to-man covenant, a weaker person would try to find a stronger one. So that in time of trouble and distress, if, if tribe number three came over to mess with you, you could tell them you was the blood brother of this brother over here and look how big he is. Huh? And that's how people, that's how governments were first formed. That's how people learned how to get along. That's how you kept wars down and strife down and killing down. You did it by gaining strength by getting with someone who was stronger than you were. And so the Bible says then that way the lesser is blessed by the greater. So we're always looking for someone stronger than we are To cut covenant with to take care of our weakness. And didn't Jesus do that? When you come into Christ, he absorbs your sin, your weakness, your faults, your failures. And then he begins to live out his life through you. So that the life you live in the flesh, you live now by the faith of the Son of God. There's nothing wrong with you as a Christian. It's not no longer you living, but Christ who lives in you. That's what Paul says. So we're not the same old people that we used to be before we met the Lord. We have no faults. We have no weaknesses. Paul said, "Well, I'm why I'm when I'm weak. That's when I'm the strongest. I lean into Him even more." So he said, "I can glory in my infirmities and my weaknesses, because I know He takes over and He undertakes for me." So he says that men swear by the greater. And an oath of confirmation is to them an end of all strife. So once you've confirmed a promise with an oath, that ends all arguments. You know, God is not mad at us. Even when on our, our most messed up day, because the, the oath of confirmation is the end of all strife. He says all you need to do is declare what the blood has done for you. And you don't have to worry about these arguments that go on in your head. Have I prayed enough? Have I fasted enough? No, 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 and no. And you won't either. So you better plead the blood so the blood can speak for you. Huh? God use them anyway. Their heart's right. I know the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing over here. Huh? So an oath of confirmation is the end of all strife. Why do we let the devil torment us with his ideas about who we're not, what we can't do, why God won't use us, why he didn't pick why it ain't our turn yet, everybody else seemed to be on TV and got this big thing and that big thing, when's that going to be my turn? And then you walk around feeling bad. Because God ain't chose you for something and you don't even know if he might want to choose you. And you don't know if them people on TV was chose by God. So the fact that God has confirmed every promise that he made to us should end all arguments in your mind. That's why the Bible says you're to cast down imaginations and arguments. In every high thing he said, "Don't even listen to him, just cast them down. Why? Because this oath of confirmation has ended all strife with God, it ain't even a problem with him no more. But why do we listen to the enemy? Because God has done this for us, and his blood will speak over the voice of condemnation. He says in verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly, more abundantly willing, he's willing more abundantly to show us things, more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. Listen, if you doubt God, he's more willing, more abundantly willing to show you that, the, that what he's promising you is true. See, we've been taught by faith teaching that when we have doubt, we just, y'all just, oh doubt, that's worse than killing somebody. That's worse than cussing God. Huh? When it says here, he is more abundant, he's more abundantly willing to show to the heirs of promise how he can do these things. So if you doubt, if God calls you and you begin to doubt what he tells you to do, he's more willing to show you that what he promised you is true than to let you live in doubt and condemn yourself for it because you don't believe him. He did that with Abraham. He'd been dancing around with Abraham for the longest time. Abraham can look at all his cows and cattle and stuff and know God was real. He had a lot more evidence sometimes in some of us. But he still doubted. He said, God, how am I going to know? He had stuff. He had cattle. He was very rich. God had got him out of Egypt, you know, playing pimp my wife. Forgave him of that. Huh? Do <laughs> your husband go take you somewhere and say, hey, we're going to this party now. There's going to be some guys in here. They're pretty big, but I want to go to this party. If anybody asks you, you my old lady. Tell me, you're my sister. Huh? That's well, what Abraham did. And the man almost had his wife in the bed. And God stopped him. And Abraham didn't let that condemn him. He's still up in God's face. He said, God, how am I going to know? <laughs> He didn't play every game, game you can play. <laughs> huh? <laughs> he don't think twice about his, his sins and his mistakes. Huh? Why do we keep brooding over him? <laughs> I'm saying, prove something to me, God. So God said, okay, I guess I will. You're not convinced yet. It says here, God, willing more abundantly, more abundantly willing to demonstrate to the heirs of salvation that you and me, the immutability of his counsel. You know what that means? He'll never change what he promised you. He's more abundantly willing to show you that he'll never change what he promised you. I'm telling you, this will make you consider doubt to be nothing, when we labor and, oh, I can't tell God, I got doubt. Or somebody will tell you, you know, well, you know, don't doubt. I'm not, I don't have no doubt on me. I don't have no doubt on me. I got faith. Well, yeah, but you know, let me just work with you a little bit here. It says here, he is more abundantly willing. To show us that he will never change his mind about what he promised you. He don't care how stinky, dirty, nasty you get in sin. He will never change his mind about what he promised you. It is the immutability of his counsel. When he decides something, he decides it with his own will and his own mind. And nobody can convince him not to do it. You can't convince him not to bless you. You'll never change His mind about you. Why? Because He sees everything through the mercy seat where the blood of His Son resides and talks to Him about you. He listens more to the blood than He does to our little ranting and raving. Huh? Well, if you regard iniquity in your heart, He won't hear you. Praise God He doesn't hear a lot of what we say. Iniquity is getting down on yourself when His blood is paid for you. When we get down on ourselves, He do not even listen to us. But He is more abundantly willing to demonstrate to us the unchangeability of His counsel. When you feel really jacked up sometimes, what He'll do is show you somebody more jacked up than you are and He uses them. And you say, well, what am I sitting here worried about? (laughs) He's just fulfilling this scripture, more abundantly willing huh, to demonstrate to you the immutability of his counsel. And he said he confirmed it by an oath. An oath means he swears against his own life. He says, if I don't, Audrey, if I don't heal your body, I will take my own life. If I don't pay your bills, I will take my own life. Well, you know, I didn't think it was that strong. I mean, I'm just late in my bills. No, he will take his own life if he doesn't fulfill one teeny promise to you, his life is staked against him. That's how powerful, that's how God's word don't play. That's how God does not play with people. I don't care what it is, big or small, that you need from God. His life is staked against it. And before he will not give it to you, he will take his life, cease to exist, and take heaven and earth and everything with it with him. Before he would not do what he told you he's going to do. Not just a promise, but an oath. Swear by himself who is the highest person to swear. He's made a promise to himself about you. He's pledged to himself. And he has to keep his own word to himself that he will not shortchange you on anything that you need in life. And he says that by two immutable things. A promise, you know, from God, a promise really would be enough. Because that in itself will not change. He says two immutable things. The promise, number one, and the oath, number two. These are two things that don't change. Why? Because his word never changes. His mind never changes. His counsel never changes. God don't need to change his mind. He's perfect in all his ways. We change because we make mistakes. He doesn't make any. And he says, by two things, immutable things, cannot unchangeable things, in which it was impossible for God to lie. It's not that he won't lie. He can't lie. Lie is not in him. He can't do it. Everything he says is truth if god hiccups it's the truth i don't know if god would have hiccups but you know what i'm saying cuz it's impossible for him to lie a lie simply is something that will not come to pass it's a mistake and it's impossible for him to it's impossible for him to lie he says because of these things he gave us these things that we would have what strong 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 consolation what's consolation it's when you start to doubt god in your mind the room starts to spin you know how you get oh lord this ain't happening the devil bugs you about time this ain't happened yet. I must have misheard God. Well, if I misheard God, then I done put all my confidence in this. And I done bought tickets. And I done bought a dress. And I done done this. And I made all these plans. And I told all the saints at the church to get an agree with, with me. Because I'm going to get this and I'm going to get that. And you will lose your mind messing around like that. So when God says he did an oath and a promise that we might have strong consolation what happens when you start losing your mind because you think you misheard God and you think it's not going to happen yet and you think this is not going to come to pass and that's not going to come to pass and you think well maybe this whole thing is a fraud and I don't know if if God is going to ever answer another prayer and where did I miss it and maybe I'm believing this scripture and this scripture ain't true and, and maybe I'm not interpreting it the right way and maybe this and maybe that and maybe that What you need when you start going stupid like that is you need consolation. You need something more than a spiritual pep talk. Huh? You need a deeper voice to come and tell you that to cut this out because it's going to come to pass. And the blood of Jesus then talks to you. Because the blood comes as the oath, the oath comes out of the blood, or the blood comes out of the oath, and that sits on top of the word to give you strong consolation. Much stronger than mere human words. Every time the Holy Ghost tells you something on the inside of you, that is the blood of Jesus talking to you. And it will come in and take your thoughts. You ever, you ever just get a God moment in your brain and you go and rest your nerves somewhere because you know you got real stupid? And it stops all the stupid thoughts and all the doubt thoughts and all the I've messed up again thoughts and all the crazy thoughts. And you sit there and you think, oh, well, I guess God really does want to do this for me. That's the blood of Jesus talking to you. Because that blood speaks with such authority from eternity. Because that blood talked that way before you ever messed up. And something that spoke before you sinned has no, no recollection or no understanding of your sin mixed up in its thinking and its talking. So the blood of Jesus cannot say anything about your sin except that it's forgiven and it's gone. And when it comes in and starts to sit on top of the promise that God has given you, you get strong consolation. Because you know that this doubt is just something that's going to flit through your mind. It's only for a moment. It's fleeting. It's leaving. Because the blood has spoken. Get out of her mind. Quit tormenting her. I've given an oath and a promise. I swore on my life I will do this. So he says, by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So we're laying hold. You're trying to lay hold back on the hope God set before you. Every time you get in doubt, you want to flee from refuge into the hope that God has for you. Cause if you lose hope in God, you, you're, you're, you know, you're destroyed. You forget it. So why does God do this? To keep us anchored in hope. The blood talks to us and talks us back into the safe anchor, the safe harbor of the hope of God. He says here, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. You know, when your soul is anchored, you won't lose your mind. Now I know, cause I didn't lost my mind before, huh? That's where Jesus found me. All the fragments of my little brain sitting around, a little nerve in a corner. Couldn't eat, couldn't sleep at night, huh? Because I didn't have this. I didn't have a covenant with God. I wasn't saved at that time. And I've gone through some rough times since then, and thought I might lose it all. And I said, "Well, Jesus." You gonna let the devil make me crazy again? And he said, What again? Uh, okay. Are you gonna make me crazy now? Asking me questions. <laughs> he said, What again? I guess I didn't go crazy, huh? He said, the person that that happened to was nailed to the tree. She don't live anymore. I wouldn't level, let the devil do that. I have given you strong consolation. My blood speaks that this will not happen to you. This affliction will not come upon you a second time. You have my oath and my promise. Before I let the devil put you in the nut house, I will go there myself and take my own life before I would let that happen to you. got up and read my sermon and, you know, started preaching again. So I guess I ain't going crazy today. Hmm? Hope is an anchor for your soul. When my former self was crazy, it was because I had no hope. So God pulls us back into hope with the power of an oath and a promise promises are cheap, folks. you can get them from anybody anytime. young people promising ev- each other everything I can't do nothing can't even go to work on time, most of them. <laughs> baby you hook up with me now I'm telling you we gonna sit the world on fire it's just me and you man. I'm Brother don't even have a good cell phone. (laughs) His don't even have a little camera on it. Don't even have a flip thing to it. You got a better cell phone than he got. Don't hook up with him. Trust me. Huh? The promise ain't even cool. You know, I mean... You're looking for some collateral. I'm telling y'all, you sisters better get some collateral on these brothers, and uh-huh. <laughs> this is true. But God swore, oh my goodness, by the highest power, He swore by Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, said, "Let's put, let's shed blood for these." To show them, to demonstrate to them that this thing is real. And we'll let the blood talk to them. And tell them who they are. And tell them what the blood will do for them. Tell them that they are new creatures. We'll let the blood that was shed for them talk to them. To give them strong consolation. You need strong consolation. Listen, it was bad enough as a sinner. You needed encouragement. You need encouragement even more now as a saint. Because you didn't live the life before. I mean, we are unique people. We kind of, you know, we could be considered crazy if we told some people everything that we know. Huh? Truth. Well, in my former life, I used to be a, you know, you can talk like that around the saints, but you get around people in the world and it's. Huh? So we get troubled just because we're a brand new species of people. Nobody like us has ever lived before. And so we need that. Why do you think Jesus said, I'm going to send you a comforter? Because he knew sometimes your brain would be your own worst enemy. Trying to hold everything together and still have hope and still have faith. Things changing around you. God tells you he's going to bless you and make your name great. And you go somewhere, the first place you go to preach, they treat you like nothing. That's greatness. Hmm? And you say, well, God, where is the, the greatness? When is that going to come? Well, the blood of Jesus must minister to you and speak to you in eternal words and words that settle you and let you know God's mind is made up about you. He doesn't change his mind about you. You can never do anything. It's immutable. It cannot change. And God, it's impossible for God to lie. So when whatever he promised you, it's coming to pass. It's never going to not come to pass. So we have strong, he's more abundantly willing to show the heirs of salvation that he has not changed his mind about us. He wants to show us the immutability of his counsel. He says, when I thought about this, I wasn't drunk, I wasn't stupid, I was in my right mind and I knew what I was saying when I said you were going to do these things for me. So I don't have to change my mind. I can remember as a kid, my my father had a drinking problem. And, you know, sometimes daddy would say stuff and you'd say, huh? Sometimes you could believe him and sometimes you couldn't. And then he would, you know, get sober and didn't have a recollection of saying any of that stuff to you. Huh? I mean, as humans, we have stuff like that to contend with. Sometimes if you come from a background where nobody kept their word, it's hard for you to get with I'm going to send you around the world as my ambassador for my kingdom and you're going to be wonderful and grace. Hard to get with that kind of stuff. So you need a stronger voice to speak to you and the blood of Jesus speaks throughout eternity. It's that blood speaks with the confidence, the faith and the understanding that was spoken before you ever made a mistake in your life. See if if I tell if I tell Minister Peggy, I said, you know, we're going to, to open up a business together. And we we gonna work together and some stuff like that. And I go, I go back and say, I said, Well, what kind of shape is our business in now? And I don't know if it would be business. Right now. We kinda back away in doubt and then somebody might say, well, have you heard about Minister Peggy's boutique? Girl, the stuff over there, I mean, people bringing it back left and right. And it just ain't. So I'm hearing things to take away my confidence in our connection together. And then I'll start to doubt, well, maybe God didn't bring us together. And maybe he didn't tell me this and maybe he didn't because it's based on knowledge of her weakness or rumored weakness. When the blood of Jesus speaks about you It speaks about you from eternity, before you were born, before you had a weakness, before you committed a sin, before you did anything. It speaks about you without any prior knowledge about any wrongdoing that you ever done. And it speaks about you as though you will never do any wrong. Because it speaks from the throne room of heaven. How am I doing about I didn't even look back there. Y'all flip me over I'm sorry. My bad. Let me show you one more thing, okay? One more thing about speaking from the throne room of heaven. When Jesus entered in, when he ascended into heaven, he entered in <clears throat> and placed blood on the mercy seat. And that's the place from which the blood of Jesus testifies about you. So any word that the blood of Jesus speaks into your life is spoken from the throne of mercy, not judgment, not legalism, not looking at your fault, not looking at your shortcoming. When that blood in heaven testifies, it's on the mercy seat at the throne room of God. And Jesus is on one side and the Father's on the other and the mercy seat is between them and the blood's constantly talking in heaven about you. And it's